We're across the crowded ways of life. I want us to, here at the beginning, just in our imaginations, I want us to walk through a crowd. And that crowd will be different for each person. So for this group, the youth group, it might be school, the school hallways. For some of us, it might be a trip down to South Congress or a football game. Just imagine being in a crowd. Can we see their faces? Can we see the faces of those who are broken? Those who are hungry for a word of grace, a word of joy, a word of hope. The crowds can be a noisy place, and we contribute to that noise ourselves with our own shortcomings, our own fallenness. And yet there amongst the crowds, all of us seek to hear that voice, the voice of the only one who could bring that peace that we long for. Well, the world is a noisy place, and this morning we're going to be in a sermon text that really gives us an interesting take on walking through the crowds, walking through this world. And it's going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, if you want to go ahead and turn there. We're going to be in different places in the Gospel of Matthew, but we're going to really settle in that Gospel. We studied this this morning in our Bible classes. One of the things that Matthew offers us that is unique from the other Gospels is this portrayal of Jesus as the master teacher, the teacher of Israel. And so Matthew is really organized around the teachings of Jesus. These five discourses, the most famous one being the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. But also the discourse here at the end in Matthew chapters 24 and 25, what we call the Olivet Discourse, when Jesus is talking to his disciples just before he is betrayed, just before the the scenes of the cross, he's giving his disciples some lessons, and he's talking to them here at the end of his life, he's talking to them about the end, the end of all things, signs of the end of the age, and his second coming, what we call Judgment Day, A day that's going to be happy and also sad, depending on which judgment we receive. Depending on whether, like in our text today, we are one of the sheep or one of the goats. Well, this morning, to help us get into the text, we've asked Griffin and Tucker Smith to come and read these words. And there's going to be a bit of back and forth between the two. So let's hear these words from Matthew Chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. The Sheep and the Goats, from Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on the glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd shepherds the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, and the goats to his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed blessed by the Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. 
I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are accursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? And he will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Thank you, Griffin and Tucker, for reading that. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Well, now it's time for everyone's favorite game. Am I a sheep or am I a goat? Okay, y'all can follow along. This is too hard for me. All right, I'm a sheep or a goat. I'm going to give you five seconds to answer this. So, first question, am I a sheep or a goat? You can answer out loud. My tail is typically up in the air. Sheep or a goat? It's a goat. Next question. I have a coat of hair. Hmm. Not very many farmers out here and ranchers. Yeah. That's a goat as well. I am a grazer more than a browser. I think you got that one right. All right, good, good. Our horns tend to loop around our heads. Uh, a little more mixed. Yeah. It's a sheep. I'm more likely to seek shelter in a storm. Okay. It's a goat. This one's tricky. I have an upper lip that's divided by a groove. It's a sheep. You can see it right there. All right, two more questions. I carry a strong odor, especially this time of the year. Yeah, it's definitely a goat. Our last question. I'm a much more independent animal. That's yeah, a goat. And that, there's a sermon in itself just in that last one, the sheep and the goats. All right. Well, uh, I couldn't hear your individual responses. Uh, some of you were spot on, I'm sure. Some of you need a little work. I say that as someone who had to search the internet very hard this week to find those questions. 
Well, it can be difficult to separate sheep and goats. In fact, in Jesus' day, sheep and goats were often mixed there in the flocks. And at nighttime, the shepherds would actually separate the sheep and the goats for various reasons. And so this, this image of the, of, the, of the king separating the sheep and the goats in this parable, and really it's not a parable, it's more of an allegory, a picture of the end, that would have been readily accessible to the uh, uh, disciples there on the Mount of Olives. But this morning, the way I want to work through this text is really through a series of questions, because it's been quite an adventure to me with this text this week. I've actually changed my mind this week on what this text actually is talking about. So you come in Monday morning, you have the text, you've been thinking about this for a while, and then you start to read it. And then by Thursday, I, I did an about-face on what this scripture is actually addressing, and we'll talk more about that here in a second. But really, that, that started for me with my initial reading of the text on Monday morning. And it started with a word. And the word was nations. I kept thinking, what in the world is Jesus talking about with the gathering of the nations there on the judgment day? Because when we read scripture, nations always refers to those outside of the community of faith. Those who do not belong to the people of God. The nations, out, away. You think about the Old Testament. The nations were the Gentiles. And that carried into the New Testament. We think about the Great Commission, even in the Gospel of Matthew, the very last words of Jesus. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The nations are the unbaptized people. And so the first big question of the text, who are the sheep and the goats, really goes back to that question, well, who exactly are the nations? Well, when I've read this in the past, I've always thought this was a judgment scene for everyone, including the church, that there was going to be this separation and we're all held accountable for how we treat the least of these. Now, no doubt, there will be a separation there at the end, and there will be a judgment. There are plenty of passages that talk about judgment day. One that's especially haunting is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. If you just want to jot that down, 2 Corinthians 5, 10 talks about how all of us are going to have to stand before the bema, the judgment seat of God, and give an account for what we've done in the body, whether good or evil. We're all going to stand before the judge. But in reading this text this week, when it comes to the sheep and the goats, I don't think the church is really in play here. This passage is addressing the nations. Those who are not part of the people of God. Now that's quite a twist from the popular understanding, but when you read the Olivet Discourse, beginning back in chapter 24, verse 3, it really makes sense. For the judgment day, the scenes that Jesus is painting, signs of the end of the age. Jesus is talking to the, the disciples about the community of faith. And he's giving them warnings to be alert, to be ready. The Lord can return at any second. Nobody knows, not even the Son knows. 
Invest in the kingdom, that parable of the talents. Invest yourselves fully into the kingdom. But then when we get to this last part, the sheep and the goats, we have a picture of the judgment of the nations. Well, if you're not convinced, let's explore another question that relates to this, and that's the question, well, who are the least of these, my brothers? Griffin and Tucker read that. If you've done it for the least of these, my brothers, you've done it to me. The nations are going to be judged on how they treat the least of these, my brothers. We've heard that language before in the Gospel of Matthew. Let's work backwards. Brothers. When we see that term in Matthew, really what we're seeing is a a call. It's always in the context of the community of faith. Brothers. Jesus' family. Uh, The most famous passage is Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. If you want to turn back there, this is the scene where Jesus is is confronted by someone who says, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside, and they're ready to come come get you. And this is Jesus' response. He says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples... He said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever does the will of my Father is my brother. So in this this parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus could have stopped at saying the least of these, but he doesn't. He tags on, least of these, my brothers, my family, the community of faith. But even that term, least of these, when used in Matthew, or at least a similar phrase, he talks about the little ones often. It's in the context of community. One that comes to mind is Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 through 42. The context of Jesus sending out the twelve on a mission, and he's telling them, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be persecution. You're going to be handed over. You're going to have to depend on the hospitality of others. And, of course, he's sending them to the nation of Israel. But they're going to be dependent upon the hospitality. Listen to what he says at the end of Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 40. Whoever receives you, receives me. Whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person will receive... A righteous person's reward. Whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Well, that brings up all kinds of questions. But I wonder, and I suspect that this is true, that the parable of the sheep and the goats is really connected and maybe even an extended commentary on Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 through 42, and this idea of receiving those who are proclaiming the gospel. It's a word to the nations. So, I walked in Monday morning with really a preconceived idea of what the sheep and the goats was about, and it's been quite an adventure this week. The main thrust, typically, 
what I thought was that this is a call for the church and everybody to make sure we're taking care of the poor and those who are sick and those who are in prison. I've always looked at this passage as really a humanitarian type passage, a call for giving to the needy. And make no mistake about it, there are plenty of passages that talk about that and call upon the church and even demand that the church take care of the weak and the frail, the weakest among us. The whole book of James, for example, you can't walk away from that without being challenged to make sure we have our eyes open for the weak and the frail. I just don't think that this is the point of the sheep and the goats. Well, if the main thrust is not about the church being involved in humanitarian efforts, which is not a bad thing, what's the main thrust of this story? And how is it a word for the church today? Well, a few years ago, I happened upon a documentary about the Dream Team from 1992. Do you remember the Dream Team? They're in the Barcelona games, the early 90s, a team that consisted of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, Carl Malone, Charles Barkley, Clyde Drexler, I could name them all, not going to. But they were these Hall of Fame players in their absolute prime. And it was a fascinating documentary to go behind the scenes and see how this team came together and how they performed there at the Barcelona Games, and of course, they're legendary in their performance. But my favorite story from this documentary is about the one who was really under the radar. Little six foot one, and that is little in the NBA, little six foot one John Stockton. John Stockton is the all time leader in assists and the all time leader in steals in the NBA. But he's also a guy who's so unassuming that he almost wasn't drafted at all. So there's this story about the Dream Team in Barcelona, and they're traveling on their bus, and when you watch this documentary, you see it pretty quickly, that it was absolute chaos every time they traveled. Whenever they got on the bus, it was like the Beatles. Thousands of people lining the streets, screaming, wanting to get a glimpse of one of the, the members of this elite basketball team. And on this particular day... They got stuck in traffic, and the bus wasn't moving, and the bus wasn't moving for a very long time. And John Stockton had had enough. And so he took his wife and his kids, and they just hopped off the bus. And then they just started walking around among the crowds. And he looked just like a tourist. He was dressed like one. He started walking the busy streets, he walked there in the Olympic Square. He started interacting with people, anyone who would talk to him. And then he happened upon a woman who was wearing a Dream Team t-shirt with the pictures of all the players on her shirt. And he started talking to her, he and his wife, and they found out she was an American. And they were having this conversation, where are you from? How's your experience been here at the Olympic Games? Have you met anybody famous? And she said, well, you know, I, I caught a, a glimpse of Charles Barkley way down the road. That's the most famous person I met here. And he said, well, he, you've never met anybody. You've never met a Dream Team player then. And she said, no. And then all of a sudden, Stockton's son started to point at the woman's T-shirt at the face of his father. 
and started to say, Daddy. And he looked down at his son. He said, what, what are you saying, son? Are you saying that man looks like me? Well, he sure does look like me. He took off his sunglasses, and it took a while for the woman to figure it out that she was talking to one of the greatest basketball players who's ever played the game, who was part of the greatest team ever assembled a man who was so under the radar that the people didn't recognize him. He's, he was out of uniform. He was incognito there amongst the crowds. But when I think of the story of the sheep and the goats, I think that story gets us a little closer to what Jesus is talking about here. Tomorrow, we are going to be sent out to the crowds. We're going to be sent out to the nations. And that causes and probably stirs up all kinds of feelings that we carry inside of us. For some of us, it might be apathy or indifference. For some of us, it might be feelings of inadequacy. Probably for the majority of us, that idea of going out and being a witness stirs up some feelings of fear. Fear of rejection. It is that fear that keeps us sitting on our hands when those opportunities come before us to say and to be the good witness for Jesus Christ. But in my reading of the sheep and the goats this week, and really for this morning, what I hear for Brentwood Oaks is a call for courage. A call to never shrink back when it comes to being a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because whenever we are witnesses, whenever we take the bushel, we, we don't hide our light under the bushel, we let the light shine, what we are doing is we're giving an opportunity for the nations to respond to us. When we hide that, they have no chance to respond. At the heart of this passage really is the theme that we've been focused on this whole series, what Rayford mentioned this morning, God with us. But it's not just God with us. The parable of the sheep and the goats is God with us on steroids. As we go out into the crowds, as we go out into the nations, we have this radical solidarity between the king and his people. It's mind-blowing what is being said here. Not only is God with us, but the king is experiencing every encounter in real time as we are experiencing them. Everything from the kind word, from the cup of water that is offered to his people, and especially those who are the most vulnerable among us, to the jokes, to the insults. And for some of our brothers and sisters in the world, the stones being thrown, the knock at the door, carrying people out of the church buildings, sending them to the authorities. God is with his people. In fact, God is incognito. He's walking through the nations, through us. It's as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, the church is the physical the physical manifestation of Christ on earth. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. This is the preeminent hands and feet passage 
whatever you've done for the least of these, my brothers, you've done it to me, says the king. So this morning, as we sing this invitation song, Only in Thee, I would invite us to think about a situation, and maybe there's some opportunity to be a witness, not in an obnoxious way, but in those opportunities that God presents us each and every day to really, really be the light and to be the good news of Jesus as we walk amongst the crowds, knowing full well that God is with His people and that the King is saying, whatever you've done to the least of these, my brothers, you've done it to me. Have courage. Stand firm. Be the good witness to the Lord Jesus Christ this week. If you have any need this morning and you would like to respond to the good news of the King among us, the King who has the victory, the King who is enthroned right now as we speak, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.